Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast where we talk to the world's most creative people. I am your host, your faithful, trusty, loyal, tireless, relentless host, Sourdough, coming at you from Crew West Studio here in Los Angeles. Man, do we have a great show for you today. One of the coolest, nicest people in the game, the one and only Victor Gonzalez. I mean, this guy's all over the place, entrepreneur, mogul, art curator, dealer, publisher of Gross Magazine. Got to check it out. Anyway, he's on the show today. Can't wait to get into this interview. But before we do, I'm going to thank you for tuning in. We do this for you. If it wasn't for you, well, you know, I'd just be talking into a microphone and that's just sad. So thanks for coming. Thanks for tuning in to like the 200 and something, something, something episode of the Not Real Art Podcast. Uh, So glad you're here. As always, I want to encourage you to go to notrealart.com, our website, to check out all the good, healthy stuff we got for you. Free range, organic, gluten-free stuff for artists and art lovers. You're going to learn and discover amazing artists and their work. Uh, If you're an artist, our 2024 artist grant is open for submission. So please go to notrealart.com and click on our grant and submit for the chance to win $2,000 and thousands more in PR marketing support. So Get there and do it. The submissions are open until January 1st, but don't wait. Do it today. What else? Oh, yes. Check out our online exhibitions. Got some great stuff for you that our curators, Morgan Lawrence and her colleague, Kirsten, are curating. So go check that out. Uh, The exhibitions are great. New ones every month are dropping. So check them out. And also, of course, check out our new series, our new video series, Remote with the one and only Badir McCleary, who's taking us on a ride to explore public art across the country and even internationally. So go check out that new video series remote by Badir McCleary. Okay, people, we are here to talk to Victor Gonzalez. Victor, I've known, have the privilege and honor of knowing for several years. Always been impressed with this guy. He's, you know, just obviously, you know, Super kind, friendly, generous, smart dude who is ambitious and driven and committed like us to the same cause, which is helping artists. You know, we get up every day passionate about helping artists tell their stories and promote their work. And I think that's why Victor uh, and I hit it off because we share those values and we're both doing the same stuff uh, just in different ways. And if you haven't heard of Gross Magazine, you got to go check it out. It is beautiful. It's a quarterly. I think it's a quarterly now, but he also has the GCS agency, which is working with clients to help them curate amazing shows and do artwork installations and public art and all kinds of incredible things. Victor, I mean, in addition to just his entrepreneurial pursuits in the art world in cities like San Francisco and L.A. and Seattle, Miami and Houston and more, 
you know, he's just an awesome dude. He's, uh, you know, internal optimist and is a big outdoors guy, too. He and I have that in common. The guy's done some serious backpacking in Alaska and grew up in California, Santa Cruz mountains. And so is just a lover of the outdoors. We have that in common, too. And uh, first generation Mexican-American as well, which is important to point out because, you know, he's out there, you know, just making a huge change and making a, a big difference in artists' lives. So anyway, I thrilled to have Victor on the show, classing up the joint today. So I guess without further ado, let's get into this conversation. Uh, you're tired of hearing me ramble on. So uh, let's hear from Victor and get into this interview. Without further ado, the one and only Victor Gonzalez. So Victor, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Scott. Thanks for having me. Um, stoked to be here. And yeah, I mean, I'm really, really honored to be uh, invited to participate here. Oh, man, you're classing up the joint. It's great to have you here. I mean, it's been too long. I mean, you and I, you know, we go back a few years, but we haven't actually chatted or seen each other much, maybe since COVID, really. But it was great to run into you recently at Mary Lai's event at the W and connect with you again. And then it dawned on me, I was like, my God, Victor's never been on the show and shame on me, but I'm so glad you're here, man. Thanks for coming through. Yeah, I know. I remember uh, a couple of years ago, I think I uh, visited your spot and you showed me the whole studio and I was, we had talked about maybe getting a, a podcast session on the calendar, but uh, yeah, I think, you know, COVID threw all of us for a little bit of a loop and, but uh, yeah, good things take time and I'm happy we're here. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We saved the best for last. Not that this is the last, but you know, you're one of the best. So, Hey man, so how the heck are you? You know, COVID, you, we've referenced COVID a couple of times. Obviously, you know, now we're, you know, 2023 feels like, you know, things are settling back into kind of a new normal for us. But I mean, how did you ride the wave, brother? I mean, you know, like being an entrepreneur, being in media is tough enough, let alone, you know, when a global pandemic hits. So like, I mean, how did you ride that wave? Yeah. So, you know, right before COVID hit, I was leveraging both Gross Magazine and Relish Magazine, these two publications that I founded and run, I was leveraging both of those networks to start doing a little bit more events and programming, special events, you know, working with some hospitality groups, some concierge companies doing like pop-up art exhibitions. And, and it was a lot of fun. I'd started working with some commercial real estate companies as well, doing some custom produced installations, you know, curated installations. And one of the things that I've had been wanting to do is because it felt a little weird to me, you know, pitching some of these special projects as a magazine to some of these clients. And and so what I had been wanting to do for a while, but I uh, didn't really have the time because, you know, when you're juggling a lot of things or, you know, life comes at you fast, I didn't really have time to kind of create a new brand that would house these special projects. So when COVID came around, you know, on one hand, it was really tough because it basically, you know, <laughs> all of my projects, all my ongoing projects and really some big stuff in the works that had taken some time to get to that point. Everything, it was put on pause indefinitely or canceled. Essentially, everything evaporated, right? So I, I tried to focus on the silver lining and I took some time to develop a new brand. 
that houses both magazines and as well as kind of more clearly communicates the other services that I've been providing to private and commercial clients. So I've created a new brand and identity and launched GCS Agency, which is Gross Creative Studio. So yeah, I took the time during the downswing of COVID to develop that, build out the website, create some, you know, collateral and communicate to my ongoing clients that, you know, we launched this new brand and this is how we're going to be housing all of these ongoing projects moving forward. You know, so on the work side, I tried to stay not necessarily busy for busy sake, although there was a little bit, it was nice to have a little bit of, you know, quote unquote, busy to stay sane. But that was a, a one way to kind of pass the time feeling still like I'm accomplishing something, you know, still feeding that need to have satisfaction for, you know, progress. But on a personal side, too, I've always been an artist myself. Ever since I can remember as a kid, I was always, you know, one of the kids on the playground that was drawing, you know, with my other group of like art homies. And as I got older, I was, you know, drawing and painting and doing more film photography, developing my own stuff. I started silk screening out of my parents' garage. I was making kind of like a, my own custom design, but I guess essentially bootleg festival shirts or, you know, shirts that I would sell at, at concerts or events that I'd go to. And it was a really kind of a cool way to interact with the events that I was going to, but also like, you know, I'd make a couple bucks and pay for my tickets. But yeah, you know, since I was in college and I kind of like slowed down all of my creative efforts and I started really thinking about launching this magazine called Gross. And and I put pretty much all of my creative energy into that. And so for a really long time, that's been my only real outlet. I haven't painted or drawn or really printed or, you know, besides like photography here and there, but that's not, nothing really like specifically focused into, you know, my own personal exploration of artwork. So during COVID, my girlfriend now wife and I went up to my parents' place up in Santa Cruz where there's some there's some nice space to stretch out. And uh, we took over the garage and created an art studio. And I got back into painting and kind of just getting those creative juices flowing. Just personally, I was a bit ambitious, as I always am. And I gave myself two months to create a cohesive set of five paintings that I was happy with and also frame them and document them and create the, uh, you know, an artist statement and a catalog and I wanted to install them somewhere beautiful and document that too. So as it worked out, I focused a lot of energy into that. You know, I was painting, you know, five, almost six hours a day for a couple of weeks. And uh, it was a really great escape from everything that was going on in the world. And it really kind of reinvigorated my lust for art, you know, in a way. Like it also helped me kind of connect with the artists that I work with, you know, understanding the trials of going through it, the creative process, also, you know, the production process as well, getting to something that you like, and then going through the process of framing and presenting and, you know, writing excerpts on each piece, as well as like a, an artist statement and a bio and creating the catalog and, you know, a hot link that you can share to people. So like, the whole thing was also um, a really great, you know, informative process for how I work with artists and what I can expect from them or what I should expect from them and knowing where the pain points are in the process so I can help them. Yeah, man. I mean, what a cool exercise. I mean, to be able to kind of, well, A, go back to your roots a little bit, but also, you know, go back to it at a time where you have such a different experience or different perspective on the art world and on making art, right? Like when you were painting and creating as a kid or a teenager or a young adult, you know, 
you didn't know then what you know now, right? So it's like interesting, I bet, you know, for you to, you know, kind of make art now, you know, so many years wiser and more experienced. You know, so what happens to the pieces? I mean, can I buy one? Like, where where are they at? (laughs) Well, yeah, I had five total. I kept one for myself. My mom immediately called out and was like, hey, that one's mine. I'm pretty sure I bought you that canvas. Because like all the materials that I used were just like leftover, you know, household paint supplies or like magazines that I cut up and did some collage to get ideating. And and there was a a canvas she had bought me a long time ago that was in the garage. She's like, I'm pretty sure I bought you that. So that one's mine. All right. Okay. You know, I've given some to some friends, but I have two left. I think I have one or two left in the storage unit. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I I think uh, it wasn't really as much of an effort to like sell or make money. It was more so just a really just great way to kind of reconnect with my own inner creativity. And yeah, it was a really fun way to yeah get my mind off of things. But then also, I think a big thing too was because for the past seven years that I've been running these brands, I work with a lot of really, really talented artists. And because of that, I've definitely had a hard time identifying as an artist because I'm like, oh, wait, these people are like way up here. They're super talented and they're dedicated and they have a career that they're, you know, whether they're emerging or whatever, they're dedicated to that, right? So people, you know, when I tell them what I do, they're like, oh, are are you an artist yourself? And I would usually kind of shy away and be like, oh, no, not really. But getting back into this has really kind of helped me claim my own identity as an artist and creative. I'm not a professional artist. I create artwork personally, but I work as a professional in the art industry. And that's something that I've, to kind of like have clarity in my own mind has really helped me in how I communicate with artists and other colleagues, but also just kind of gave me a little bit of a confidence booster when people ask me, like, are you an artist? I'm like, absolutely. Yes, I am. But then I immediately go into like, I'm not a professional artist. I am a personal artist. All the caveats, right? I'm laughing because I mean, you know, you and I, we've joked before about kind of our similarities in our paths, although I'm a lot older than you are. But I'm laughing because I struggle with the same thing. In fact, I just did a podcast episode about this issue this sort of imposter syndrome kind of issue. And, you know, and I've talked about this before. And for me, because I'm like you, like I hold these artists on a pedestal and, you know, at the end of the day, they've put in their 10,000 hours, right? They put in their 20,000 hours, right? Like they live and breathe their whole, their rent, their mortgage, whatever. It all depends on them making and selling art. You know, you and I, you know, we're more multidisciplinary or, you know, we're or less focused <laughs> or whatever. Like, you know, we have like different things going on. And so when people come to me and say, oh, you must be an artist or, oh, I always foul. I, historically, I've always fouled off. It's like, well, you know, I don't know. You tell me, <laughs> you know, am I an artist? But it's sort of like the idea of a ca- an artist with a capital A versus the artist with a lowercase A, right? It's like, okay, sure. Uh, I'm an artist with a lowercase A. I'll say that. But you know, never trust a wise man who calls himself wise, you know, like, (laughs) it's like, this is the point, but it's empowering, right? And to be able to step into that and say, yeah, no, I make stuff too. Because at the end of the day, if being an artist about making stuff, man, have you made stuff? I mean, you've made how many magazines, how many brands, how many, you know, and that's just on the business side. So of course you're a creator, creative and a maker, you know? Yeah, you know, I think uh, I've always really kind of gravitated towards just exploring all of the tools around me and, you know, a constant state of learning, 
has really helped inform the way I do things and who I do them with. But then also like, you know, I started these brands straight out of college, I started Gross Magazine with a friend of mine, and we crowdfunded our first issue. And, you know, not coming into publishing with a, a ton of print publishing experience was one thing that was, uh, you know, it was kind of nice being naive, because I uh, didn't know the rules. So I was able to break as many as I wanted. But also, you know, coming into print publishing with very shallow pockets, I should say, it really made me be resourceful. And I had to lean into that quality. I think that quality has always been instilled in me because I'm the product of immigrant parents who were just always resourceful, trying to find their own way, trying to do the most with what they had and, you know, figure out ways to stretch their resources, whether it was money or any kind of resource, you know, network as well. So, you know, that's something that has always come natural to me is like finding tools, seeing what's, you know, the free trials, using them as much as possible and, and doing everything within that has been a real helpful way to get a lot done. Well, one of the things I've always appreciated about Gross is that it feels like every time I read it, the byline is you. Like, you know what I mean? Like you do so much writing for the magazine or at least you have over the years. Like that was one of the things I always appreciate because you're a damn good writer. Like, you know, and it's like, oh, wait, who wrote this? Oh, Vic wrote this again. <laughs> you know, oh, another another Victor piece, you know. So talk a little bit about how you honed your your writing chops because you know, I enjoy reading you. Thank you so much. I mean, I guess like humbly, I'll take that compliment. Although I know that there's many other writers that are, uh, really just naturally talented. And I am trying to, you know, bring in some more outside voices as well to add variety to publications and the content. But I've, I guess, back to when I was a kid, I and back to using tools, like I remember being in like a middle school, and there was like some writing contests, a couple different ones, like that I actually, you know, placed in like the top three a couple times. And, and it wasn't because I don't think I'm some, you know, the next Shakespeare or anything like that. But like, I leaned into the tools around me, I found the thesaurus or I found a, you know, just looking up words in the dictionary. And my dad is a huge reader. Like he reads, I feel like he's already, he's read entire libraries. There's like huge bookshelves that are just like books and books and books and books that he's read. And when we hang out, he's kind of rubbed off on me because he's a bit of a, a word nerd, right? Loves to kind of throw some crazy word in the mix. And then uh, he loves to have people question him, whether it's a real word and like, <laughs> look it up. And then, you know, so vocabulary, I think is helpful when writing, because otherwise it kind of sounds repetitive or redundant. And, and also vocabulary in terms of a mode of expression is really helpful to get the specific and concise point across without being overly wordy. There's a bit of a balance there with like art speak in the art community where nothing makes sense. And you're like, what did I just read? It, like, I have no idea. But yeah, I've, you know, writing has always been a way that I've been able to connect with some people. And it's also, it's very therapeutic for me. It's a constant effort to communicate a message in a like punchy, but concise way. So, you know, especially in an age where no one has time for anything and it's all about the the TLDR, the too long didn't read, you know, I want to get it across as fast as possible, but like keep people wanting more. So it's like really just kind of almost aggressively written with like a really fun kind of irreverent behavior or irreverent voice, but communicating kind of uh, refined ideas in a really fun way. Yeah, that's great, man. And that, you know, that's also part of being scrappy too, right? Like when you jump 
into being an entrepreneur and starting a a media company with no money, like turns out you've got to wear all the hats, uh, you know, and yeah, you're writing too, you know? Yeah, definitely. I I do have to say though, in the past couple of years, I've been really pleased to work with a couple of really great writers, some young and some really, really experienced or some really specialized writers. And they've also informed the way that I write. And also, you know, in, in terms of like, as my brands have been scaling and I'm in, in efforts to do more of like the top level stuff, it's always a bit of a struggle to delegate, to delegate properly. But there's definitely a lot of satisfaction when I can delegate to the right people and they just crush it faster and better than I ever could have, you know, and keeping the right people around you is really like just a huge way to grow. You know, it's, I found myself a couple times and I still am in many ways, a total bottleneck. You know, there's, there's only so much I can do, even though I can do a lot. There's people around me that if I lean into my network, they can do it better and faster. And a lot of it, because this is still like the brands are still very authentic and and really fun. And there's a lot of creative freedom that there's, there's people that just want to do it for the love of it too. And that's something that I never expect people to work for free or I never ask people to work for free. But uh, I get a lot of people volunteering that they want to write or they want to do some, you know, shoot a feature or they want to, you know, there's just so many different ways that it's a very collaborative project, I guess, projects, you know, like there's a lot of fun ways to interact with people. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've really dived into the art industry in terms of the journalism, as well as like market transactions and commissioning works and all of that is it allows me to do a ton of different types of creative things with a lot of really different types of creative people. And that's never going to get old to me. So I have to ask, because I know there are a lot of people out there listening who are wondering this question for themselves, but I know it's a question that you've probably gotten a million times over the years. Why gross? So I was in college and I was taking an economics class and you know I was already kind of had some creative projects going on, but I was in this class and we were talking about gross in the sense of, you know, economics, right? You know, GDP and, and anything. Gross just essentially means like the overall before deductions, right? It's the total. It's the total before it gets whittled down and, and categorized and all of that. You know, in that sense, it's very direct. It's a little, a bit of that word nerd kind of thing. But as soon as I stepped out into any kind of social or casual environment, gross means something obscene. It means something kind of wild or nasty or, you know, something like that. And so it's a very different type of meaning. And of course, you know, just having that kind of duality in a word, I tried to think of like, how could I apply that? Because it's just a fun word to say. And so I guess, you know, in terms of the art industry or art culture, gross is the overall before it gets categorized. So we feature artists of all different kinds of disciplines from all different places around the world but not just the artists themselves, also people that work in the creative industry. It's essentially like everyone who makes the creative world go round. You know, there's the curators, the artist managers, you know, the people who work in the brands that artists use, like the brushes, the paint, or anything like that. Like everything tangential to creative industry is essentially under that one big umbrella. And that creates a really wide reaching space to shine light on people that are otherwise kind of unsung. Love that. Love that. Well, so as a media mogul, if you will, what's your take 
on the state of art media these days and art journalism? Like, what is your sense of things and what is, you know, how is gross operating within that theater, you know, to differentiate itself and thrive on some level is a very small market, but also a very competitive market? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the reasons why I started gross was because I was not totally satisfied with the state of art media in the way that I see it or the genres that I enjoy. There's definitely a couple magazines out there that have inspired me. and But I just see like in terms of like the growing landscape, there's really, there's a bit of a lack of like a 360 content provider when it comes to the art industry, whether it's like fine art, classical, or like, you know, new and contemporary. Art media is usually pretty stuffy. And it doesn't have that mass appeal. You know, a big driver for me has always been to somehow bump the needle and elevate the status, the social status of artists. You know, like parents, you know, especially immigrant parents, mine included, they want their kids to be lawyers, doctors, you know, like these like professions that like make a lot of money and that they have respect in the community. Um, and security, it's security and all that. Right. Exactly. And to me, though, that like, you know, artists are really just the thought leaders of society. Like in so many ways, everything begins with that raw creative expression of art. And it's so important. And like without that, you know, everything else, it sounds kind of corny. And, you know, everyone has said it probably better ways. But without that, everything else is just drab. You know, it doesn't really have much meaning. Like, what's the point without, you know, creative expression and art and music and you know, just visual art, recording artists, like all of these different ways to express oneself, including in food too. Like the culinary arts are amazing. You know, it can really create this entire experience that is so memorable and tied to long lasting, like long-term memory, you know? So, you know, with one of the things that I'm trying to do is obviously I started this in like print media, which was a bit of like, um, a bit of just like a move to do something different, like go the other way where everything was going digital. Like, okay, well, I like to say a gross magazine is a vacation from your screen. It's really like a way to escape that quickly fleeting, like massive content generation machine and, you know, reduce some of your anxiety and try to focus on something that's real and tangible for a moment. But of course, it's not lost on me that digital media is definitely the way to reach more people too. So in an effort to reach more people and empower more artists, that's why Relish was founded, which is a traveling art program. It's a submission-driven and sponsor-powered art program that goes city to city. So we started that one in San Francisco. We did LA, we did Seattle, and now we have Mexico City and Tokyo in development right now, which is really fun because... Each edition features local artists and then puts them on, you know, puts them on this platform, showcases their work, publishes them in print, and it connects the community within, but also connects each community to the next edition, right? And so we've created more and more video content. You know, GCS agency is kind of like the we've I've repositioned the the brain organization. So GCS is kind of the company that produces both magazines and the art programs. But in that too, you know, I'm really excited to say I can't really give too much, too many details now. But we're working on a an art documentary that will likely be sold to a major streamer, and that's you know it's really exciting. So it's like kind of dipping our toes into 
projects with a broader scope and ways to reach more people. I just see so many different like mega galleries that are creating new departments and, you know, like UTA, even like a artist agency, artist, a talent agency, you know, they've created UTA art space and they have just opened their second gallery space. And that's typically, you know, mostly talent and entertainment, but it's undeniable that artists are having a huge, huge influence. And this isn't something new, but finally, I think some of these huge brands and companies are seeing that influence and are looking to harness that. And, you know, it's only a matter of time until Gagosian or David Zwerner start their own licensing departments. And, you know, especially with the rise of all this Web3, all this new tech that like, you know, it's just really far reaching. And even if it starts off as experiments, knowing what works, what doesn't work, or, you know, just constantly learning again, it's just like coming from a place of learning and dipping your toes into all different types of outlets is something that, again, it's really exciting. But I think, you know, I don't see any other magazines doing that. I don't see any other like media companies doing that. So we have some big things in the works, of course, always. It's a little sad to see, you know, for a long time, Vice was a really big inspiration, just like the way that they scaled super scrappy, their content, their general like brand identity and voice. But, you know, no one's immune. And so to, you have to constantly be adapting to a changing landscape. And yeah, I see that as like a kind of a way forward is like going from print, but also creating lots of video and experiential type of content is kind of the only way forward. Are you guys on TikTok? <laughs> no, I think one reason, the only reason I think right now that it's no is because I have completely reached my capacity for <laughs> social media. And on one hand, I think, you know, it's a great way to reach a lot of people. And I've been advised to like, you know, use that as a sales channel for sure. But I think there's a couple other things right now that are taking precedence in terms of priority of like actually expanding our brand ecosystem and you know, we're looking to take on some investment this year to really scale this business and grow a proper team and essentially get the right resources to take this to uh, the place where it should be. Well, that's very exciting, man. Congratulations. You won't know what to do with yourself when you don't have to do it all. Um, <laughs> that's, okay. I'll, I'm sure I'll find other ways to uh, occupy my time. I don't know. I, it's one of the things where actually recently, so I've been dabbling a lot more with uh, ChatGPT and a bunch of these AI tools. And normally, or before this, you know, I'd be either watching TV with my wife or going on a hike with my wife or whatever. And I would just come out of nowhere with like some new business strategy or invention or product or something. And I'd be like, Christina, what do you think about this? And she's like, oh my God, do you ever stop? So now I've kind of I've taken that energy and I started putting it into ChatGPT to help me flush out ideas or help me, you know, just explore a lot of this. Like it's like rapid ideation, which is really, really exciting. And, you know, in terms of like the landscape right now where everyone's so worried or anxious or afraid or angry or frustrated with AI, at the end of the day, it's not like it's going to go anywhere. So just back again to like leveraging what other resources you have, you know, these are tools that are available to everybody right now. And so I almost feel like whether you agree with where it's going or not, using them or leveraging these tools to your advantage is something that it, it's kind of a no brainer. Yeah. You know, I've said to people, it's like AI is not going to take your job, but the person who knows how to use AI might take your job. You know, at the end of the day, they're, they're tools and they need us 
you know, humans. And if you stick your head in the sand and refuse to engage, well, then, you know, that's on you. You know, that's your choice. But, you know, maybe you should lean in and face your fear and, you know, maybe you'll learn something and not be so scared in the end. Yeah. I mean, that's always a thing is like, at least try it before, like, don't knock it till you try it. Even in ways of people are like, I don't even know what I would use it for. You know, my wife being one of them, you know, she's a costume designer and she does film, TV and commercials, all kinds of stuff. And I was trying to tell her like, you should try it. You should try it. And she's like, I, I don't really even know what I would do. And so I was like, well, I didn't have the answer either. So I asked ChatGPT, how would a costume designer use ChatGPT? Yeah. And it gave me a laundry list of different ways. And I kind of did a short exploration for her and sent her the conversation. And she's like, oh, that's really interesting, actually. So, you know, I think in a way, it's just, again, it's like, you'll never know until you try it. And if you speak from a place of like judgment without having tried a thing, then why should anyone listen? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I have so many questions. I want to bounce around, but I got to press you on something. I got to press you. So come on, give a little sneak peek into the art doc that you're producing. Like this sounds very exciting. Okay. I think I can do some without giving away too much. Basically, you know, I was approached by a really good friend of mine who he's a accomplished writer and producer. He's got a ton of industry experience and you know, we've been looking for ways to kind of work together on something. And, and he, uh, he calls me up one day and he's like, Hey, I got this crazy idea. You know, I heard this amazing story where this guy has this painting that, you know, it might be worth, you know, 15 to $50 million, but we're not really sure. And there's like a bit of like sleuthing that has to happen. There's this whole backstory. And so, you know, immediately I'm like, okay, I, what do I do? You know? And so it's kind of cool though. You know, we talked about it for a bit and basically having gross or GCS attached in terms of uh, doing some of the promotional marketing, but also essentially as like my role would be as an art consultant and like, you know, just making sure if we're using any type of verbiage that it's correct, you know, as we go further into like the investigation of the piece, you know, just knowing like the right processes to get this thing authenticated or appraised, but it's a pretty wild story and the characters are absolutely insane. Uh, (laughs) In terms of like I was saying how usually fine art or art media is pretty stuffy or kind of, you know, doesn't really have a whole lot of flavor to it. This one has an abundance of that. And so we're, we're really excited for the way it's going to go. And that should be uh, we're taking some pretty big next steps really soon here. Excellent. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's very cool. And you're right. I mean, there's no shortage of characters (laughs) in the art world. And these stories are fascinating, right? Like it might be worth millions. It could be worth nothing. (laughs) It's like you got to figure it out, though. That's also one of the things that's really fascinating about the art world, too, is like just the activity surrounding something adds extra context to it. And depending on who is you know, a character and what history they might have, just discovering and investing time, energy into something can inevitably like uh, increase its perceived value. And that's a lot of what art is, is like the perceived value, who's willing to pay for it, how much they're willing to pay, you know, who bought it, who owned it, where did it go? What's the story? What does it stand for? What does it look like? Like there's so many different really, really intricate details that go into the art world and it's one of the things it's it's really nice because it's not cut and dry it drives some other people crazy because it doesn't make any sense a lot of times but 
you know, there's a lot of room for interpretation. And ultimately, if enough people agree on a certain thing, it, it becomes a reality. It, well, right. Yeah. Perception is reality. And, you know, the art world itself, certainly the first world of our blue chip, you know, that world, it's it's its own protected garden ecosystem, right? So the ability to impact value is real. <laughs> and we won't beat the drum of fraud and corruption and uh, <laughs> we won't accuse anybody here. <laughs> But we know it goes on in some places. But anyway, man, well, I'm stoked for you. I'm stoked that you've got so many great things going on. But the, one of the greatest things that's been going on in your life the last couple of years is you got married. Congratulations. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much. It's been a wild ride. We, you know, we just actually celebrated our first anniversary. We did a, a month-long motorcycle trip in Vietnam, which was amazing. It was pretty rad. We both got a couple of bikes and, you know, we rode from south to north, which is essentially the equivalent of LA to Seattle. Yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of fun and could not be more thrilled with my partner. You know, she's incredible. It's a very supportive for us, which is amazing. And I think it works really well because we're both very creative people and we both work in like a tumultuous industries. So, it's really helpful to have that kind of understanding and knowing the spontaneity is, is definitely uh, one of the things that we lean into. And yeah, you know, she's amazing. I can't sing her praises enough. What's she doing with you, man? I mean, that's really, you know, if she's all that, why is she settling for you? <laughs> I mean, believe it or not, I have some charm, a little bit. <laughs> yes, yes. The more she drinks, the better looking you get. I get it. I get it. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, I kid because, you know what, I married up too, man. You know, I totally get it. You know, it's a beautiful thing when you find the right partner, you know, and, and that's it, right? At the end of the day, you know, to have somebody that supports your dreams and has your back. You know, when the going gets tough, I mean, you know, like shit, I mean, when COVID hit, I mean, if you were a couple pre-COVID and you survived COVID, you know, you're probably going to do okay. Because I know a lot of relationships that didn't survive COVID because it was those relationships were predicated on those people never seeing each other. <laughs> you know, it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, COVID was definitely a bit of a, and a I say a bit with a, that's an understatement, but a make or break, you know, like it brought a lot of people closer together and it brought some other people it drove them apart you know it really was pretty wild but i think another really great one of the reasons why we get along so well and is you know the family dynamics like her family's been really great at accepting me and my family has also accepted her open arms and and we both come from uh latin families and so there's there's a bit of like an overlap there you know, just like Spanish speaking and lively and boisterous and lots of passion, of course, it works pretty well. How did you guys meet? I, I don't know if I know that story. So it's actually a really good origin story. I'm very proud of it. I was living in San Francisco at the time and I had just come off of like a week long, just huge private art installation during Coachella at this really crazy estate called Zenyara. It was a catastrophe. <laughs> Nothing went right. Uh, and it was, you know, long hours, just crazy, crazy times. From that, I came back into LA and went straight, you know, drove this massive 37 foot truck from Indio to downtown LA, got out of the truck and immediately started setting up our Relish LA exhibition. So I went straight from one project into another. It was just totally beat, you know, completely beat. But luckily, and 
know, with a great team around me, everything went really well for the relish opening at the after party that was at tenants of the trees. I, uh, you know, I show up there with this artist, Mr. Star city. I was, he was the next solo show that we were producing in the gallery. And you know, so I show up with him. I go straight to see the bar manager to, you know, thank her for hooking us up. We had this like nice sunroom reserved for us. And he went to go speak with the security manager and started just like pointing at people in the sunroom being like, okay, they got to go. He's got to go. They got to go. And looks at Christina and Christina's friend who happened to be in there and was like, she can stay. She can stay. Everybody else got to go. So I didn't know any of this was going down. I just come back from talking to the bar manager and I sit down next to Christina and Star looks at me and he goes, Vic, you got to meet this girl. She's an amazing artist. You got to talk to her. And my first gut reaction, like all I wanted to do is sit down and have a drink. I was just so wiped from you know two weeks straight of insane work. So you know he introduced us and I was like, oh man, I got to talk about art again. Like shit. But that was quick. I was like the a very fleeting thought as I like you know I saw her. She's beautiful, and she's like, oh hey, my name's Christina. Like you know, I was like, all right, well let me see your artwork. Like what do you got? She showed me, you know, she opened up her Instagram, showed me a couple of posts of like these beautiful, really big, like essentially like 36 by 24, like charcoal portraits are just immaculate. They're so nice. And I was like, wow, you know, I, I was fully prepared to be like, okay, cool. Keep it up, you know, but it was, I was really impressed. And so uh, we start talking and, and she's like, oh, so where in LA do you live? And I was like, oh no, I live in San Francisco. I'm just visiting, but I'm planning on moving here. She's like, oh, I'm from San Francisco. That's where I grew up. And she's still like, you know, scrolling through her phone, showing me some photos of like some of the artwork. And she, as she's scrolling past one of them, I see like her on this like cool motorcycle. And I'm like, okay, hold on, hold on. Okay, so you're super cute. You got cool tattoos. You're a good artist. You ride a motorcycle. You're also from the Bay. I was like, girl, you tell me you cook good and we're getting married. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was being funny. She looked at me and essentially just like laughed in my face and was like, ha ha, I got to go. And she got up and left. She got up and left. And I was Pro like, move. Oh, stupid, stupid, Pro stupid. Move. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, wow, Vic. Wow. There's a reason why you're single. But little did I know while, you know, we were talking, she was getting texted. She was getting hit up by this guy who she was actually at the bar to go on a date with. So she was waiting for him to get there, hence why she was sitting in the sunroom. And as I'm talking, he's texting her, being like, hey, I'm here. Where are you? And she's like, I didn't want this guy to see me talking to some other guy before we're supposed to have a date. And, you know, so she's like, out of respect for the other person, she's like, all right, I got to go. The timing made me, yeah. <laughs> made me yeah. question <laughs> made you all of my decision making. <laughs> but yeah, so, so she left and I, you know, had my, had my drink. I was like halfway through my drink and I hear that one of our, a friend of a friend, one of the guys who's in our group, this young like Mexican skater kid who's just like trying to, you know, carve his way into the world here in LA. He was just like, he had tagged along to all of the things and he was, you know, enjoying all of the complimentary beverages that came along with being with our group. And he got, you know, way too sauced. Basically, I had heard that he was outside, you know, no, and he was in really bad shape. And I asked, like, yo, can, who's helping him? And he's like, he's out there by himself. I'm like, well, why is no one helping him? You know, like, I just can't. I can't let that fly. So I go outside. 
And sure enough, I see him like face down on the pavement, like on the sidewalk and people are just like looking at him, like taking pictures. I'm like, what the fuck is this? So, you know, I get down there and I help him up and he's just an absolute mess, like mess, mess everywhere. And so I like, you know, I pick him up and I'm like taking him over to a bush and he's just like puking and all the things. And I'm like, oh, God damn it. This isn't what I wanted to do. You know, I just want to sit down and relax. You're like, why am I such a good guy? Why? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just couldn't let that. I couldn't let that slide, you know, like, so, you know, I'm holding him over this bush as he's just puking. And I'm like trying to like, you know, get him to chill out and get some water and whatever. I'm holding him and I see this car leaving the back parking lot happens to be Christina and her friend, her girlfriend or, you know, in the car leaving the bar. And I'm like, wait a second. I looked at the car. I looked at this guy. I looked back at the car. I looked back at this guy and I'm like, all right, this is it. I just drop him like a sack of potatoes and I run over to the car and like a crazy person, I'm like, you know, knocking on her window. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. And her friend's in the passenger seat. And she like looks at me like, what the fuck is this guy's problem? She rolls the window down a little bit, you know, like very sus. Rolls the window down a little bit. And she's like, can I help you? And I was like, Christina, I just talked right past her friend. I was like, Christina, wait, you're the best thing that happened to me tonight. At least let me get your number. So she gave me her number and which I was surprised it wasn't a fake. And after all was said and done that night, I took care of our friend, had the rest of the night at the bar, finally got back to our Airbnb at like 3 a.m. There was a whole other debacle with this drunk guy, but I ended up texting her at 3 a.m. being like, you know, what I thought was, again, funny. I guess I have my own sense of humor, but I said, nice to meet you, wifey. And she did not text me back. <laughs> but we ended up like, uh, because she had sent me one of her artworks over Instagram, we ended up like DMing a bit. And I had learned later on after we kind of like started dating a little, I had learned later down the line that she, from that night, she saved my number as Victor Husband. And yeah, yeah. Woo! I love a good so love a bit story. Of a, Bit of a, a long-winded one, but it was, I mean, it was just really great how it all happened, you know, in real life, organically. That was one of those things where, like, shoot your shot because you never know, <laughs> you never know where to land. Carpe diem, seize the moment, man. No doubt. No doubt. Did that story get told at the wedding? Because, I mean, that's a pretty, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. We, we definitely told that story at our, I think it was like our welcome dinner. And we were trying to get, so uh, Mr. Star City, he was, had a great, he, you know, he was the guy who introduced us and I hadn't seen him in a minute, but we had been in touch. And then like, you know, a couple years down the line, I, you know, I did end up moving down to LA, you know, we were living together and then I went to Star had a show, had another show in LA and I went to the show and I saw him and was like, yo man, how you been? Remember that girl you introduced me to? Like, we're living together now. And he's like, holy shit, that's crazy. <laughs> and then I told him when we got engaged and he's like, oh my God, that's amazing. So unfortunately though, he wasn't able, he had accepted, we had asked him to officiate our wedding. Yeah. But unfortunately he was unable to get a passport because he had gotten in some trubs. But now since then he's been traveling the world, which I'm happy for him. Okay. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a really, it was a really great, like just so many just, you know, auspicious circumstances it all came together and and yeah it's a really beautiful story that we're both very proud of i love it you hear that people shoot your shot man you got to seize the you got to seize the moment uh that's that's <laughs> i love it i love it well congratulations brother that's so good i'm so happy for you 
and Christina you have a bright, bright, bright future life ahead of you. So that's so exciting. You know, as we wrap up here, I want to go back and talk a little bit about what you've learned, you know, as a professional in the art world, as you put it, I think, you know, for the artists listening out there, I mean, you've met so many artists, you've helped so many artists, you've worked with so many artists, you've seen artists struggle, you've seen artists succeed. And, you know, for those artists listening, you know, as you think about the things you've learned and lessons and things you've observed, you know, what are some pro tips, if you will, that you'd like to share with artists out there today who are looking to build their practice, their career, their, you know, looking to build their business. What are some of the sage wisdoms that you could share? There's a lot, you know, I'm definitely a big fan of idioms and sayings and, and kind of like mantras. I'll uh, attach to a mantra for a couple of months at a time to kind of help me get through things or help me kind of change, change the way I'm going through things. But a big one is like, you know, inspiration, it's a word that gets used a lot in this industry. You know, what inspires you? You know, what blah, blah, blah. And like, I really think that one of the biggest things is when people are waiting for inspiration or looking for inspiration, it's kind of like waiting for love or looking for love. Like, you can't be looking and searching for it. You got to let it come to you. And that's a big part of the kind of esoteric kind of sense of like, you know, there's a lot that goes into that in terms of like, you know, how you, how just strategy for how you live your life. But in terms of like specifically for artists and inspiration, a big thing is keeping your space organized. And I think it was Ellsworth Kelly. I think it was a quote that I read of his a while back that is one of the things that helps me a lot. And I tell to everybody is, you know, if you're not feeling inspired, you're not really sure, feeling like a little lack of direction. Go into your space, your studio, your bedroom, whatever it is, your garage, doesn't matter, and just start organizing. Start organizing, cleaning up, getting things in order, you know, just literally just all of the things to like prepare the space for getting to work, right? Doing that absolutely prepares your mind to get to work. But uh, I think it was Ellsworth Kelly's quote. He was like, when I'm lacking inspiration, I just go in my studio. I start organizing, and then before I know it, I'm halfway through a new painting. And it's like really important to not overthink things. You know, you kind of let things come to you naturally. And it's so helpful in removing the pressure of needing to feel inspired to do something. So that's one big one. You know, it helps for productivity, helps remove the anxiety and, you know, all the things that come with creating. And then another thing, too, is. I believe it was Rashid Johnson. I could be mistaken, but it's something that I also really embody is, you know, as an emerging creative, someone new, fresh in the space or doing what you can, it's say yes to everything. Say yes to absolutely everything. Do it all and do it with all of your effort, do it with all your might. He had said, uh, Rashid Johnson, again, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was him. It was say yes to everything until you can say no. And then say no as often as possible. You know, you have to really, to get into the zone where you, you know, first you're going to be soliciting for all these opportunities. You're going to be pitching. You're going to be connecting. You're going to be throwing your, your name into every hat. And that's great. But as soon as you start tipping that scale towards things start coming to you, it's really important to make space, not just for the new work, but make space for the projects, for the work that you want. 
it's really important to never just give all of your career to fate. It's not like that. It's like you really do have to be an active and proactive manager for yourself, you know, and then maybe at some point in time you find the right person that helps you manage that kind of career. But yeah, I think it's good to like take all the opportunities, do them all. You know, some of them are, especially if you're just starting out, like, of course, paid opportunities. Yes, absolutely. Take them all and do as much of the, the like, you know, paid dues kind of work, like some unpaid projects. Sure. But if you do them with like the right attitude, you're grateful for opportunities. A lot of those early jobs, not even a lot, some of those will turn into lifelong contacts or will turn into projects that are going to be, you know, growing your career later on down the line. So yeah, just do it all, do everything, put all your effort into everything you do and say yes to everything until you can start saying no. And then as soon as you can start saying no, limit your exposure to things because you have to make time for like the right projects as well. Love, love that, Vic. Thanks for sharing that. So what's next for gross? I mean, you know, you've got so much going on. You've done so much to help celebrate and elevate artists and shine a light on them. Clearly, you got a lot going on, you know, on multiple fronts. But what can people look forward to over the next three to six months and year from Gross? Yeah, so Gross Mag, we're uh, developing the next issue, Gross Volume 5. That's going to be released in Miami during Art Week and Art Basel. We have some really great projects and partnerships lined up for that. And Relish Magazine, like I said, uh, we're... I just got back from Mexico City where I, was, I took a bunch of meetings and finding the right partners to bring Relish to Mexico City. Recently, I was in Japan, which I met some amazing people, and I absolutely fell in love with Japan. It's a very cool place, and it resonates with me a lot. Uh, I just love the attention to detail. But uh, yeah, I met some really great people out there that have shown a lot of interest, and they want to bring Relish to Tokyo as well. So, you know, more, you know, Relish lives on. Gross lives on. And with GCS, you know, we have some really great artists that we're working with. You know, we have some new exhibitions in the works and some really great commercial clients and partners that we have some huge projects coming up to here in LA, up in Seattle. There's a lot of irons in the fire. And it's one of those things that there's things can change day to day. You know, some opportunities, they seem very promising, but then as soon as, you know, you can never really count your chickens before they hatch. So there's a lot of really cool stuff coming up. And then, like I mentioned, also, you know, packaging up uh, the last seven years of developing and, and building these brands and creating the infrastructure and ecosystem and how they all complement each other. I've had some really great conversations with some really close friends that work in the venture capital world and, and some other friends that are, are specialists in fundraising. So at this point now, you know, like these three brands, GCS, Gross and Relish, they all are intertwined and uh, I'm looking to scale them to be a, you know, a proper like functioning in, in this, in like the, I guess, uh, what's the way I look at, I want to say it, kind of reaching their fullest potential. Are you going to be the Logan Roy of art media? Is that, <laughs> is that really what you're saying, Victor? <laughs> um, I mean, with without the salty bastard, uh, <laughs> without yeah, the I fuck so. offs. I think, I, think uh, I, you know, I wouldn't be mad at that. There's a lot of like, you know, it's kind of one of these things where I've always dreamt really big, and I have these huge ideas and these 
you know, huge concepts and these massive, you know, future plans. And it's, again, it's not like just about me. It's like all these artists that I see that are struggling or, you know, friends of mine that I want to help. And, and, you know, it also comes back to me personally, like my parents, immigrant parents, and, you know, they're retired now. And like a huge drive for me is all I want to do is just spoil my parents. I really, I want to do that. And if that, you know, comes in the form of, you know, bringing them to some of these different relish editions that are around the world, that's amazing. And, you know, I think expressing myself and uh, building a livelihood for myself and my loved ones through art, not only is it like a, a big dream of mine, but it's very much a reality that I'm working daily to, to try to create. Well, from where I sit, my friend, you're well on your way. And that is such a beautiful sentiment to sort of wrap up today. Victor Gonzalez, I'm so grateful, man, for you taking time out of your busy schedule to come and chop it up here with me today. Please know you are welcome anytime, my friend. And if there is uh, ever anything we can do to help celebrate your artists and promote them, let us know. Any artist is welcome anytime. We could even do like a three-way little uh, conversation, little round, round table, whatever. But you are always welcome. Open door policy. Victor Gonzalez of Gross Magazine. Thank you, my friend, for coming through. Thank you so much, Scott. Yeah, it means a lot and happy anytime. And let's definitely keep these rolling. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi Deloro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.